Welcome back, my friends, to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should-have-beens. I am Kevin Williams. That is Robert Harrison. How are you today? Doing well. We're close enough to high-five. We are. High-five. Oh, look yeah. at that. We actually got one. Yeah. <laughs> we are coming at you live from a new location a new tonight. location. Yeah, cheers to that, man. Yeah, cheers. cheers to that. And we have plenty of beer. Plenty of beer. I like this new location. <laughs> we, never na- we never named this studio. No, what is it? Because we've we had got Studio A and B. We have Studio A and B. That's at the Firehouse. Which is a, you know, just a really unique name that we gave to our studios. Thought very long about it and had mm-hmm. lots of deliberations in beer. Yes. We came so, up with that. So we're at... The Underground Bunker? We're, we're in the crypt. Uh, yeah, we're basically well, in the crypt. next door. That's on the other side of the wall. Right. It was a little chilly in there. This has the room next to the crypt. Let me just explain what we are looking at. If you could see this, this is where a Kiss fan would want to be buried. So it's like the Kiss <laughs> the vault, kiss the crypt. Kiss, kiss crypt. Yeah, <laughs> say that five times. But this is Kevin's shrine, if you want to say, to his musical career so far. Uh, we are looking at lots of guitars. In fact, I am touching, touching. His Gibson SG, which I have played and lusted after for many, many years. That was on at least one of our recordings, and I love that guitar. Uh, it was the guitar of the Immaculate Solo. That Was that the one you that played? That was the one I played. Oh. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. No, because that one had a whammy bar. That was Thunder Dan Marshall's guitar. Okay. Yeah, sorry. But it brought back that memory. I was playing that up until that solo, and he handed me his guitar and said, here, play that solo. You got one take. There you go. Because we were behind schedule and over budget. <laughs> the pressure was on. And we'll put that solo right here. And it came out of nowhere. I totally pulled that out of my ass. I'm not good at ad-libbing. I usually practice solos and then play them. And this just spur of the moment came out of nowhere. And when I finished, you and the producer were looking at me like, what the hell? Where'd that come from? Nice. Not sure what that was, but, but Alex, Alex Lifeson thanks you. Yeah. And so I had to go back and learn the solo because I have no idea. It was like an out-of-body experience. So I had to actually go back and listen to the recording and learn what I played on that recording so that we, when we did it live, I did it the same way. What's going on with you this week, sir? It's been a nice, quiet week. I needed that. I had a wedding Saturday and I had a private party Sunday. So I my fridge was packed with leftovers. I had prime rib brisket, really amazing brisket. I had two full trays, two trays of Publix subs. So Publix is our local gro- regional grocery store here in the South. I don't know how far it goes, but they make really good sub sandwiches. And so somebody ordered two or three plates and left most of it with me. Uh, so yeah, I have not had to cook in four or five days. And so, Was this one of those parties where they actually pay you to? Yeah. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I got that many leftovers and- And you got paid. A nice little envelope. That doesn't happen to anybody else. That's only oh, you sure. have ever heard this. I'm sure. It's, you know, pretty amazing. this, man. It's, it's the thing to do these days. You just rent your house out. Yeah, it's a good side hustle. People bring in food. And beer. And beer. Yeah. And pay you. 
Mm-hmm. And they even clean up, don't they? Yeah, not always. No, you know they they tidy up a little bit. I still have to go through and you know, do a sanitizing, good cleaning. That's no big deal. That's that's part of the fun. I get paid for it and move on. We got another one this weekend. We'll see. They got about a hundred people coming over Sunday. I think. I don't know. It's it's always something different. Always new adventures, but it's always fun and it's nice to not have to actually work that much. So. So you're telling me this week you have not done any cooking. That's what you're not, telling me. I have. So there's no reason no, for me to hit this button. Not at all. Save, oh. save that for when I do something good because I've had sub sandwiches for breakfast every day this week, brisket tacos, and trying to come up with 15 different ways to eat prime rib and brisket. It's a rough life. Or you've got to like think, how else do I want to you know, assemble this so you know it's not just the same thing over and over. Yeah, woe is me eating prime rib every night. Oh, well. it's, it's rough. Well, after you, OD on hors d'oeuvres, Go listen to Pot of Thunder, Cobras and Fire, Growing Up Rock, Slamfest Podcast, Decibel Geek, A to Z Radio, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Hustle, Disciples of the Watch, Podcast Rock City, Sean Geek and Fast Fret Podcast, State of America, Rock Strikes 10, Potter Than Hell, Ron Keel Podcast, The Kiss Room, Ages of Rock, Retro Zest Podcast, The Synaptic Empire, and don't forget about Monty. Monty's Rockcast. Come visit us in Obscuria.com. Like us, share us, recommend us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Leave us a review. It's getting that time again where we need another review. It's a quarterly thing with us. It is. Somebody out there. It is. It's about time. Have mercy on us. Leave us a review. So we don't have to keep saying that. Or maybe you just come leave us a review in person because we're going to be in Nashville. No, 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 no. Only if you're happy with us. If you're not happy with us, do not come out and start something. That's true. This is only five stars. Yeah, exactly. Only a five-star well, review in a, person. a four-star. Four and a half. I, I take a four and a half, yeah. All right. Okay, that's the deal. Well, come see us in Nashville. What is that we're talking about? This. So should we talk about this this week? Well, we've teased it for we've a couple weeks now. We've teased it for a few weeks. Yeah. Yes. So it's it's big news around the uh, In Obscuria podcast world. You remember, I don't know, maybe... Two years ago? Two years ago. Yeah. We went to Rockin' Pod and we had a certain devil snack with us. It was quite popular. It was. We had the devil's ham. Yes. The Underwood devil's ham. That was our sponsor for that podcast. This year, we thought we'd go on the sweeter side, but it's still devilish. Yes. 
And so we are going to be providing anyone who comes by the booth, as long as they do a little dance and a song, maybe. A, a jig. A jig. Do a little jig. Yeah, because it is the same weekend as St. Patty's Day. That's right. So we had to do a tie-in with St. Patrick's Day. Right. So we are doing, what are they called, Robert? Leprechauns. That's right. They are Jameson Irish whiskey infused pecans, not pecans. That's idiots say it that way. People from the South really just say pecans. So it's, yeah, Jameson infused pecans. Just think about that for a second. And they're pretty damn good. They're very addictive. I've been test marketing these in our local market here in Sweatlanta, Georgia, for a couple of months now. Perfecting the recipe, adjusted it a few times, but I think we got it down to science now. So we're going to have nice little individual portions ready for people to try out. That's right. We'll have you a little snack pack. You come by by the table, come talk to us, dance a little jig, and we will give you a handful of the devil's nuts. Absolutely. You should always reach out. You will grab a handful of the devil's nuts. You will put them in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Swirl them around. Yeah. They're a little salty, a little sweet. Not too salty. Tastes a little bit like whiskey. Yes. Irish whiskey nuts. And Leprechauns. It, and because they're pecans, they're healthy. So this is a health food. Think about it that way. Healthy nuts. Yes. And it's got some other ingredients. We won't go too far into the secret part of mm. that. But the main part is, yeah, these are Irish whiskey infused pecans that are very addictive. So just be prepared to, you know, for the old first taste is free. The leprechaun. Enjoy. <laughs> All right, Robert, before we go into this week's theme, I do have a special announcement. This in just now from Sweden. Mark, Mark, Mark. Yes, I do have some news. Uh, the this, continuing saga? This is the continuing saga of Thunder Mother. This is your Thunder Mother news. <laughs> Maybe I'll find that. <laughs> Just lay that bed over the top of it. So we've been following the breakup of the most current version of Thunder Mother and the fact that you only... Can, you can tell it's been quiet around here. We're, this is our, this, this is big news, man. We're not talking about Russia. We're not talking about the war. Yeah, forget about all the, the world falling apart completely, this seems. This we're, is the most important thing. We right were talking now. about Thunder Mother in Sweden. And so Philippa is the only one that remains in the old version of Thunder Mother. She owns the name. She now has a new bass player, which is actually the old bass player. She has a singer and uh, we haven't heard about a drummer yet, but the news this week, we talked about Demona putting out the new Demona re- recording yeah. last week. It's not Demona. It's Demona. Oh, okay. It's Mona Lindgren and her, her band, her moniker is Demona. But we talked about the fact that Guernica, Emily, and Mona are going to remain a band and they have named their band and they are in the studio this week. They are already recording wow. their first fast. single. Is it called Lightning Father? No, it's Guernica, Emily, and Mona. So they are calling themselves the gems. Oh, nice. How is that not taken? I don't know. As long as we tried to get a band name 20 years ago, the gems, that's not taken? The gems. Well, uh, maybe not in Sweden. Oh, that's true. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's different a local thing. Yeah. But we talked about how Mona, we played her clip last week. Mm-hmm. She's a guitarist. She's a badass guitarist. She just happened to play bass in Thunder Mother. So she is playing both guitar and bass now in this new band that they have. I'm sure they'll end up getting a bass player. But mm-hmm. for this first single, she's playing guitar and bass. You got Guernica singing and Emily on drums. So look for the gems to compete with the new version of Thunder Mother. Once and again, out of one come two really good bands. Exactly. And the saga, I'm sure, will continue. 
We get them both in the same room. Oh, we should have a, we should have an interview with both. And then just like you, you tell one Point of them counterpoint, you're going to have an interview with the, the Thunder Mother. And then you know secretly you pipe in the other two, other three. <laughs> oh, and on the other line we have Cornica. <laughs> this is your life. <laughs> Don't you have something to say? <laughs> okay. On to other things happening on my social feed last week. My feed was blowing up with updates from a band that you and I love, a band called Ours. Yes. So we covered them in detail in episode 22. It's one of our most downloaded episodes of all time. I never would have guessed that, but that's good. I'm, I'm glad that they get the credit for that. So not only last week did frontman Jimmy Necco re-release a new interpretation of his solo album called The Heart, he released that on Valentine's Day. I guess he kind of redid it and reinterpreted some of those songs, but he announced a whole bunch of upcoming U.S. dates for hours. Included in those dates, Robert, April 29th, Atlanta at Smith's Old Bar. Oh, good. Excellent venue. Great spot. Good beer. Yep. And we've seen Jimmy Necco there. Yeah, downstairs. Downstairs. But no, this is upstairs. upstairs. This is ours. This is the band playing. Yes. So I've actually never seen ours. I've only seen Jimmy Necco, I think, three times I've seen his solo performance. And this guy can scream. Let's and just put it And my God, the man can sing. This guy's he, voice is amazing. You know, we covered ours and we talked about how great they are, mm. how great they are live. And so it made me think as I saw all these posts, I'm like, I really need to try harder mm-hmm. to see them live because I've never caught the band live. I've tried. I've mm-hmm. had several missed opportunities over the last 20 years. Well, did he hint as far as set list or what eras? What era? Uh, yeah, because they've got quite a few uh, albums to choose from. Yeah, I know that he, I think last year, because we missed him last year too, because we were somewhere, but he was doing the first album like front to back last year. I don't think that's what he's doing this time. I assume he's going to be doing newer songs and probably just running the gamut of their whole career. But hopefully I won't screw it up because I've just missed this band. One of my biggest fails was about 12 or 13 years ago. Grace and I had tickets to see ours and there was another band. It was a double bill and it was two bands that we really loved and I'll name the other band in a minute. But we we love both of these bands and there's not many bands that my wife and I both love. Hmm. I turned her on to both of these bands and she really likes them. Great singers, cool music with, you know, lots of passion. And so so we thought we would make a night of it. We got tickets, thought we'd make a night of it. We went out to dinner and drinks beforehand. This is pre-kids. Oh, This good, is when you could go out and the good old days. do whatever you wanted. <laughs> I miss those days sometimes. But. Sometimes. So apparently we had a little too much fun with our dinner and we didn't end that dinner and drink pre-party until about 1030. And so we go to masquerade. That's definitely pre-kids. Yeah, and I'm dumb me. I'm thinking, oh, they won't start until later because yeah. everything in my life at that point in time was later. Yeah. I didn't worry about the cool time. bands started at 11. Yeah, o'clock. cool bands don't even go on until midnight. Come on. So we show up at Masquerade, the old Masquerade, which was uh, an old cotton mill that had huge, we've talked about it, huge rats the size of cats. They were big. <laughs> walking around. Very big. They threaten you. They're like, yeah. come at me, bro. Come at me. They, they usually take a shirt. You know, hey, I'll have that. Give me just uh, hand it what, over. What's in your pocket? Yeah, you don't yeah. argue with them. Just hand it over. <laughs> Everybody's safer that way. So anyway, we go to the masquerade. We get there and we show our 
you know, our ticket at the time. And the, the person out front goes, well, you just missed ours. And the other band's about halfway through their set, but you can still go in. Damn it. <laughs> like, really? And that was the second time I had missed ours. Mm. And I've missed ours two more times after that. So, so it's going to be up to me to make sure this happens, is what you're saying. And you and I do not have a good track record lately because we've missed a couple of things mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So yeah. rub that in that we're both knuckleheads for forgetting completely we had tickets, even after we talked about it the day before. Exactly. <laughs> we talked we about talked, it. Yeah. We texted we literally talked the day about before. It. Okay, here's where we're going to meet. All right, here's the time we're going to meet. And then both of us flaked out. And I felt so bad because I thought it was just me. That was the Dio movie. Yeah, that was a Dio movie. I really wanted to see that. And I don't, it's probably, I have to wait until it comes on DVD. What the hell did you just say? What am I talking they about? They don't release anything on DVD. What am I anymore? talking about? God, oh it's my. streaming right now. I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> I have to beam it straight to my brain. I forgot about that. So back to this show that Grace and I caught 12, 13 years ago, we did go in and we caught the last half of the other band. And since we've already spent a whole episode talking about ours, I thought, hmm, maybe we'll talk about this other band that we saw. The name of that band is Dredge. Now, we have played Dredge once on this program, and it was a cover of a Pink Floyd song on episode 104, which was one of your birthday episodes, mm-hmm. and they did a cover of Astronomy Domini. Yeah. Okay? And that was at one. that time, we said, we really need to revisit this band at some point. So when I saw all these posts from ours, and I started remembering the time that I really almost saw them, mm. it was just a little late, but I saw Dredge instead, and it just reminded me how great of a band Dredge were and now are again because they've gotten back together. They're putting out a new album this year. So I thought it was a good time for us to go into episode 167, Grave Mistake, Dredge Should Have Been Huge. So if you don't know who this band is, they straddle the lines between alternative, pop, metal, and prog simultaneously in one song. That's a lot of work. The reason I say they should have been huge is they are equal parts Incubus, Muse, Pink Floyd, and U2. Now, all of those bands have had success, major success, massive success, but this band did not. They're a cult band. They do well with the fans that they have, and they pack the places they play, but they're not on any sort of level as those four bands I just mentioned. So if you were to mix all those bands together, you would get Dredge. So today, we're making a statement. We're going to tell the people about Dredge. All right, so this band is from Los Gatos, California, Bay Area, basically, San Francisco. That's what I, I don't even know if I've I said that right, that. but yeah. So I'm assuming it's just around the Bay Area. They formed in 1993 while the members were in middle school. They formed their band in middle school, and they have stayed together yeah. all these years. That's crazy. I was nowhere close to being with it enough to be in a, a band. I was in marching band, but still, I was being told what to do to be in a rock band in middle school. That's insane. That is crazy. So the vocalist is Gavin Hayes. Guitarist is Mark Ingalls. Bassist Drew Roulette. Drummer and piano player Dino Campanella. Now, do you remember seeing Semisonic? Yes. Do you remember that the drummer would put a stick in his mouth mm-hmm. and play dun, keyboard dun, 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 while he's dun, playing dun, drums? Yeah, well, yeah. Had, and it wasn't a full keyboard. It's like a, a small yeah. synth. It, and it was set up like as part of his drum kit yeah. so he could reach over. So Dino does sort of the same thing. I think at some points he actually turns around and plays it because he, there's no, there's he just the, like drum yeah, loops or something. The, oh, okay. But he does both. So it's another drummer who plays keyboards, which is amazing to me. Another reason that I'm saying they should have been huge is they have a very similar sonic trajectory to Incubus. Incubus were from 
Calabasas, California, which is just outside L.A. They were formed in 91 while they were in high school. So very similar types of bands formed around the same time. Incubus started off much heavier than the sound that they became known for. Same thing with Dredge. In 93, by the time they got to 96, where they're in high school and they're starting to record, getting out of high school, they were a heavy band. But that's not, as you'll see as we go through this today, it's not really the sound that they established as the Dredge sound. But I do want to play just a little snippet of what they sounded like originally. Now, just remember that. We're not going to go there because I don't actually own any of that. I pulled that off YouTube. Okay. That stuff was put out on cassette. They self-released. But it's it's so different than their sound that we will come to know All as right. we go through this today. But very similar to Incubus. Incubus was considered new metal when they started to get famous. Yeah. That's they were considered part of that new metal scene. And they were, the so, they were so that. not by the time they got their big hits. Yeah. You know, so very similar trajectory with Dredge. Like I said, they had two self-released EPs, 96, 97. They're young. God, they're young. More metal, more growls and screams like you just heard, but they still had some atmospheric, trippy, kind of proggy instrumentals, and that they'll take that and kind of further develop that as they go along, and we'll hear that again. Now, in 1999, they independently released their first album, and it's a concept album called Late Motif. And originally, like I said, they self-release it. And what they start to do is just play around the San Francisco, California kind of area. And they start sending out tapes to labels trying to get signed. So two years, they tour on this self-released album, expanding their fan base. And then they're offered a deal by Interscope, which is a major label, in 2001. And they re-release with different artwork, but they re-release Leitmotif. They thought it was such such a good album mm-hmm. that they said, we don't want you to go in the studio. We just want to clean this up and we're going to re-release it. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, a young band with a concept album, these are like super smart dudes. It's about a man traveling the world to cure his moral disease. And the story is included in their liner notes instead of them putting lyrics in the the album Mm -hmm. they put the whole story they scripted a whole story about it so it's basically like a screenplay that they inserted into the album and they would kind of carry this forward they got kind of that arty proggy thing going for them, even though they're at this point still kind of a metal band. But you'll see that that kind of Pink Floyd, Radiohead kind of stuff is seeping in to their sound. And a usually, bit. that's the kiss of death for most bands that try to do concept albums. They just it's hard, really hard to get that across. And they're coming out of the gate with one. Yeah. <laughs> they tour for two years and then they get picked up and it gets re-released. Pretty amazing. Now, the only thing is, even though they got it re-released, guess what the date is that this thing got re-released? They got signed in 2001. Mm. September? Wh- what happened in 2001? 11th oh, well, is the release date this is, for this album. How many times have we heard that? The, the, the band was on the plane, you know, getting ready to leave for America or something like right. that. And they'd say, Raging slab. get back yep. off the plane. No, it's, it's going to yep. be postponed for postponed a while. Postponed their whole thing. Yeah, so this album, even though it got re-released, now it, it still did fine. But again, they didn't have the success as some of the other bands I mentioned earlier. I mean, talk about good luck and bad luck, mm. you know, right out of the gate. So I did want to give a little side note. Do you remember that Dream Theater released a live album on September 11th? No. Do you remember the story? No. 
it made national news. Even though there was all this other stuff going on, this was this made national news that they recalled the album that was released because it was a picture, it was a live album that Dream Theater did in New York, and it pictured the skyline of New York inside a flaming apple. Um no. Oh, no. And it came out on September 11th, and I actually have a copy. Oh. So it actually got out there. Within like two weeks after the event happened, it made national news because yeah. they recalled, or they didn't recall, but they stopped printing it. You know, yeah. they changed the cover. And probably whatever was in transit, they, they yeah. probably locked yeah. that up. Whatever too. wasn't sold, they, yeah. they took back. But God, yeah. can you imagine the artist for that feeling horrible? Because first of all, you're so excited. I did the art that's going to be on this major album. 2001 right. Dream Theater was still pretty big. And then just the guilt of thinking, wow, I did something that's horrible. Yeah. Unfortunately. I mean, unintentionally, but still. Unintentionally. Well, and it was a play on, of course, an album cover that Dream Theater already had. Yeah. They have a, a heart. It wasn't even Images contra- and Words has a heart yeah. that's on fire. It wasn't meant to be controversial. No, they until just made it an day. apple and they put the skyline in the, yeah. in the center of it. Just as hard as you try to do crazy. well, sometimes it just kicks you in the nuts like that. So I'm going to play off the re release version. I don't have the original version of Late Motif. Now, do you want Late Motif is? Yes. You do? I do. What is it? What are you talking about? I know stuff. Okay. Well, I, I, I didn't have to look it up. You I tell know, me. I think it's light motif. Oh, I thought it was late. And I believe, if I remember all the way back to my movie history class in college, which was one of the few classes I really enjoyed, that it's a theme that reoccurs through a movie. Look at you. Look at the big at the brain of Robert. I had to explain that reference to somebody a couple of days ago because I said that. I was like, look at the brains on Brad, which is, of course, from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yes. So like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, God, is that movie old enough now? Yeah. We, We're, it's 99. The kids so don't know it these days. 24 years old. Yeah. Kids, even in their 30s, don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> the kids so, in their 30s. In their 30s. In 40s. Pastor. Anyway, so yes, I, I believe that's what that is, is a reoccurring you theme. You are absolutely correct. Wow. See, I didn't know what that was. Yeah. I thought it was some made up thing for their. No, I, was, I love that class. I mean, that story. was got an A plus in that class because all you had to do was go see a movie. Well, nice. And well, then write a little report on it. Well, let's play a little bit from Light Motif. You say yes. Okay, I believe. I believe somebody can correct me, but I believe it's Light. It's French.
felt that was like act one. You're absolutely right. This that was is, the very first song. Not just a, a song. That was like, this is prelude to the rest of the album. It is. And there's a recurring theme mm-hmm. that some of that riff will come through all the way to the end. The bass playing is really spot on. I love, I, I, once again, I, I've said this before, but I don't usually key into the bass player. I'm listening to the guitar player because that's what I know how to do. Don't know much about bass playing at all, but it's very good to me. I mean, just it very tight. And yes, the Incubus relationship there, I, I didn't hear a lot of the other bands, but absolutely 100% right on the same money as Incubus. Like I said, this band does did fine, does fine, mm. but not to that same level. Yeah. And they didn't have a DJ like Incubus did. Maybe they did not have a DJ, no. No. The singer did play, he played like soundscapes. He did a lot of the atmospheric stuff. Mm. He always had like a little Moog or something up there and mm. maybe a laptop and he was, you and know, he was he doing the, stuff. That's the Muse factor. And that's what I right. loved about Muse. They're very melodic. For as heavy as they were, really orchestral melodic sound they had. Yeah. And you'll, you're going to see some of that and you're going to see a little more poppy U2. You get a lot of U2 popping through here okay. a little bit later, but hopefully that doesn't turn people off. It, they're still heavy, but it's, it's just different. As long as the singer's not a douchebag. <laughs> right. As long as Bono's not part of it, exactly. we're good. I'm good. It's more the U2 kind of comes in as the guitars. The layers. A lot of atmospheric kind of yeah. swirling guitars. I, I love I love U2. I, I could take or leave the lead singer, but I love the music. And I love I, the I, edge. I, can, yeah. I love his, the sonic textures yeah, that he too. builds. So they went on tour with Alien Ant Farm. Remember that band? Yes. The Smooth Criminal cover band? Is that the one that had the bus wreck? They had the bus wreck. Yeah, they had And it took story. them out of commission for, they never I don't know, really did. three, four years. Did they ever come back from that? They did. I think they're still around, but they not never to the, not had... Not the same level. They never had that success. Because that was a huge hit. It was a cover, but it was a huge hit. Massive hit. That's a great cover, yeah. actually. That's really, really hard good. of all the covers to choose. I know. It actually lent itself very well to a metal sound. A chunky, chunky. Chunky guitars. They also went on tour with Deadsy. Do you remember Deadsy? No. We talked about them in one of our cover episodes. I believe the first one. They did an awesome cover of Tom Sawyer by Rush. So Deadsy was Elijah Blue's band. Elijah Blue is the son of Cher. Oh, okay. But it, they you were like a, said this they were like a goth metal kind of thing. Yeah, a little industrial sounding. But anyway, they toured with those two bands, which you know they are not exactly like them. But it's still that would have been a cool bill either one mm. for those two bands. But that's pretty good to go out on your first tour. And so then it's time to do their official major label debut. So they come back a year later, two thousand two, and again they decide to go the concept record route. This time, again, I told you these guys are smart. They decide that it's going to revolve around Salvador Dali's dream caused by the flight of a bumblebee around a pomegranate one second before awakening. Have you ever seen this painting? I'm sure I have, but now I've got to go look it up because I can't remember. It's an what it amazing. Like. If you, I know the persistence of memory is the best known one, and I love his work. I just can't remember what that looks like now. Obviously, another surrealistic painting, but it's it features a naked how you, lady. How do you Google that name? That's like three sentences long. If you just put in Salvador Dali, it's probably one of the three that will come up. But it's it's a test that out. It's a naked lady lying on a rocky shore, and there's two tigers leaping at her okay, from I'm, the sky. I'm googling naked ladies. Hang on. <laughs> tigers Whoa, leaping from the sky. On, hang on, no, no. Anyway, so these two tigers are leaping at her from the sky, and there is an elephant on stilts. Really, it's its legs are just super long. They're in the background. So it's a pretty amazing painting. But they decided that they were going to do their entire album based around this painting from 1944. 
pretty heady stuff. Then as they were getting into it, they realized that they should just focus on what influenced Dolly, which was sleep paralysis. So he, he had a lot of trouble sleeping and, and so he would come up with these surrealistic paintings. Mm. And so instead they just decided to broaden it a little bit and inside the album they included all these printed letters that were sent to the band by people suffering from sleep paralysis. And they based some of the songs directly from the letters that were written to them from people who had these issues. Mm. I mean, just amazing concept for a young band to take and make a rock album out of. (laughs) But that's what they did. So they secluded themselves in the desert, in Palm Desert, and they recorded this thing at Skywalker Ranch, at George Lucas's oh, Skywalker know, Ranch. I didn't know he has a... Rec- is it's it a, a recording, recording studio, studio as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's where they made it. That's pretty bad. How do you get that hookup? Uh, like, well, hey, they're hey, on a major label. I guess so. so like, hey, and, George, what are you doing this weekend? Well, and they had three different producers on this album. One was Ron St. Germain, known for a ton of bands, but mainly U2, Living Color, Tool, Soundgarden. Pretty good. They also had Tim Palmer produce, Pearl Jam, U2, Tears for Fears, The Mission, and Jim Scott, Tom Petty, Sting, Rolling Stones, Chili Peppers. Well, once again, you can't blame a lack of success on lack of talent around them. That's about as good as it gets. And I'm surprised that they got a cohesive sounding album out of this thing because you got three different guys who have their own styles. And, you know, these are producers with egos. But somehow they got this cohesive sounding album and it's called El Cielo, which I'm probably saying that wrong. But Close it's C I E L O. Cielo. Cielo. The okay. ceiling. There you go. That is the name of the album. See, I am not a linguist. You are, sir. Thank so, you. So cunning. They went on tour with Deftones, Chevelle, Hoobastank. Again, 2002. Think of the bands. Phantom Planet. Remember that band? Yes. I, well, that and Hoobastank, two bands I've yeah. I like heard of them in a I haven't forever. heard of them in a very long time. The, the weirdest thing was I heard Hoobastank in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. It's old people music. It's now. old people music. They're playing. <laughs> I mean, it was their ballad. You know, right. but, but still, I'm like, oh, God, it's happening. You, I've heard this joke forever that you know you're old when you hear your favorite music right. in the grocery store. And I just heard it. <laughs> and they also did this tour called the Snowcore Tour, which I wish I would have seen this back in the day. Not only was it Dredge, but Sparta, who would later, well, actually, who were part of At the Drive-In. They split up. They formed Mars Volta and Sparta. So it was Sparta, Glassjaw, Hot Water Music. I've these are all punk, these, these are all punk bands. Okay. So it was, the first were like kind of pop, alt-rock bands that they played with. And then they did this tour with these punk bands. It was like a snowboarding thing. Yeah, I'm assuming. But Dredge is in all of this and like that's modern rock, emo, and punk. They were not any of that. Very bizarre that they were part of this whole scene, but they were. I mean, who else are they going to tour with, I guess? Maybe Rush? I don't know. But Not anymore. Two, yeah, well, yeah. this is 2002. So two singles and videos from this album. This is where I came in to the band. I, I okay. was not around for the first album. I came into them here, and I saw them on, do you remember this? MTVX. I'm trying to remember if it I was a ever short that. lived, short lived version like a MTV two, but it was MTV X, and it was all the extreme. It was all rock and metal and of the time, I early vaguely, 2000s. Yeah, now that you mentioned metal, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, so I saw one of these videos, and in fact, I saw the song that we're gonna play. So this is from El Cielo. Is that my saying it right? Cielo. Cielo. Why can't I say this? It's either sky or ceiling. I can't remember. <laughs> all right. Well, here's the. It's, it's up there. All right. Got it.
That's good. They progressed. Yeah. What a transition. That's amazing. But, you know, going through the motions and thinking about why weren't they big, why weren't they huge, and all that good stuff. And it's really good music. It's amazing music. It's more oriented for an album. It's not oriented to be played right before Green Day on the local radio station or Sirius XM, unlike Muse. They were nailing hit after hit that was perfectly formulated, three and a half, four minutes for that slot, right after Pearl Jam and right before uh, you know Stone Temple Pilots on those alt-rock stations that they would sneak Muse in. Yeah, I mean, I kind of go back to that Incubus comparison, though. Like This one was this song was a little more Muse-like, uh, just like a little more melodic, little more, but yeah, very much Incubus, too. But Incubus, same thing. Their songs... First chorus, first chorus, had the little DJ thing in there going, which was very popular at the time. All the bands had it. 2003, we were still playing. You know, we joked about how every band we played with had a DJ in it. Didn't matter. <laughs> You're right. Indian folk rock, they had a DJ. And we were doing power pop. Yeah, we were doing something completely not was <laughs> the thing at the time. We were the alternative odd band. Uh, we were, yes, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> Proud to be odd. Well, yeah, so Dredge, again, cult following, they're, you know, they do well where they play and people go see them and, and love this band but yeah they don't have the same success as the other bands we're mentioning or even the bands that they were on tour with you know the Deftones were blowing up at this time they're touring oh, yeah. with them Hoobastank blew up huge you know multi-platinum that album and it's so interesting how they crashed and burned just like the 80s bands did a lot of times because they had the one big power ballad mm. and then nothing after that they couldn't like they couldn't make that transition like Fuel and Godsmack Godsmack yeah <laughs> Creed tell them your name Oh, Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, so they didn't have that transition, like Goo Goo Dolls, Fuel, all those bands that had a big power hit and then could follow it with ballad, 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 ballad. Capitalize, ballad. capitalize yeah. on what, power what made you... Uh, Big. Three Doors Down. One big rockin' hit, nothing but power ballads after that. <laughs> Cheesy-ass power ballads, but man, they raked in the bucks from all those. Yeah, and this this band's just a little too cerebral yeah, they, they compared to a to lot of that. that other stuff that was yeah. going on. So yeah, Not, you, not all bands needed to do You make that. a good argument that it had to kind of stay in its zone where yeah. it was. So you think about all those bands were popular right about the same time. But let's go to the third album because this is the crowning achievement, in my opinion. This is what really should have blown up for them. It was their highest charting, their biggest selling album. Actually, not their highest charting. That would be the next, the fourth one. But this one was their biggest seller and, and had the most momentum, but Ooh. still it didn't quite push them over. Third album, another concept album. This time a little bit looser. It's more about contrast, about opposites, positives and negatives and that sort of thing. So not as much of a, a heady, you have to think about it really hard. This one was produced by Terry Date. He produced Incubus. Soundgarden, Deftones. So they had a really good producer again for this. And then what's interesting here is they worked on production and arrangement with a guy named Chris DeGarmo. Why does that sound familiar? Because he was the guitarist in Queensryche. He left Queensryche and started doing more of this type of work. And he worked with Dredge on putting this concept album together with them. He had a little taste of that. He had done something called Operation Mindcrime. He knew a little something about concept he, he, albums. He had twiddled the knobs. Yeah, he, he knew a little bit. So I think that's pretty cool that they would have an old guy, you know, Queensryche, coming in to help them. From one of the more cool. well-known concept albums. Yes, exactly. So they, uh, they continue their artistic creativity. The inserts in this CD album packaging was a booklet. And in the booklet, it had art 
created by the bass player, the guitarist, and the lead singer. So they were they were all painters as well. These are very arty dudes. And then each of the paintings represented one of the songs on the album. And then when you would put them together, they had clues within. And it was a treasure map, a real honest-to-God treasure map. And it pointed fans to find pieces of the treasure that were really out there. So whose yard got torn up, <laughs> mistakenly? So there's various clues posted yeah. on the website as well as in the, the liner notes. And the actual fans found the things and then they like you know had a whole online campaign yeah. about who, who found the treasure and I've got fond memories of growing up in Florida we you know our festivals that every city has a festival sometimes ours was the Billy Bowlegs festival have I mentioned this before no but I think you should go into this so Billy Bowlegs was a pirate an actual oh, pirate. Okay. So it was documented and everything, but they would like have this mock invasion where kind of like Mardi Gras, somebody gets elected king of Mardi Gras and queen, but somebody gets elected to be the pirate and they would pick a big boat and they would come in the harbor and people would bombard it with water balloons back before we cared about the environment. <laughs> right. So you're just putting latex all oh, yeah. over the beach, hundreds of thousands of water balloons in the water. So then there was a, a we have Fish a parade. jumping out of the ocean As choking part of the festivities. They would publish <laughs> clues in the newspaper where his treasure chest was buried and it would be full of you know prizes and coupons and some money or something like that but people you know are not that smart and so they would get these clues and start digging up this pristine beach of ours you know sea oats and sand dunes people were all over digging up all these sand dunes and then you would see one knucklehead like digging in front of a business or something like that and they're landscaping thinking oh I know they buried it over their landscaping and it was comical <laughs> they stopped doing that because people are just idiots so yeah, that's what that I think of somebody just destroying somebody's nice landscape and go, no, it's right here. It's in the song. It says right here. <laughs> See, I saw this as them kind of doing geocaching before geocaching was okay. a thing. Although it was a little bit different, but how that takes how just amazing is that so to put creative. that together? So basically, once once the treasure was found, another hunt began. It would lead. So there were like three different people that won this thing because it was leading to all these different things, and it made me think of another band that should have. This sounds like something they would have done and that band they used to they look like those guys right there uh it was uh their yes. name you got a picture of you with wait. you and brandon with yes up there. oh wait no no. no, those guys. Oh, with, with you and I, picture of you and I. What are those guys' names again? Vinnie oh, yes. Uh, no, no, no. Um, Kiss. There's a kissing connection with K. So Kiss. What, what he's talking about is the pictures on his wall that if you look from left to right, there's Kevin, our friend Brandon, with yes. Next picture, Kevin and Brandon with Rush. Next p- picture, Kevin with some guy holding a guitar with a painted face named Vinny. Then it's Kevin by himself with Kiss. Then Kevin and I with Kiss. And it just keeps going around the room. So I have a spot over there I haven't put the one of me and Ace Fraley up yet okay so he's got one more spot for that but you've got to see this room people I, I'm not <laughs> it's very inspirational it really is it's one part spooky one part inspiration <laughs> that's why my kids never come in here right, keeps them out <laughs> daddy's in the scary room <laughs> so I actually find it hard to believe that Kiss never did something like this if, you know you're absolutely right oh my god to have an album like like the Elder or something where you had to go uh-huh. to New York and you had to find these clues you, you know what would be different about them though Here's how Gene would do it. If you found the clue, there's actually a, a cash box or a, a, a credit card swiper there, and you have to pay a hundred dollars yeah. to get the clue out of the box. Oh, it's, <laughs> you find a box of cash, but you have to split it with Gene. 
No, no, I think, I think he charges you. Charges to open like, the box. You found the clue, but you can't open it until you get charged. Nowadays, it would be like an internet search and ads keep popping up every time you <laughs> click on something. Oh, it's raining outside. Do you have the uh, Kiss umbrella? Yeah. There you go. I'm going to sell that to you, too. Yeah. I'm surprised Kiss but didn't that really do this, is though. a good point, though. That totally sounds something they should have done. Yeah, the, the Kiss Pirate Treasure-themed uh, album. I'm surprised that never happened in the 70s. Wow. Kiss Pirates. <laughs> well, we won the Kiss Cruise and there were the Kiss Navy. They should so. have done it after the very first cruise. They should have been like, aha. Have like a pirate ship following the cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes Gene and Paul on the pirate ship. <laughs> well, you know, they're not going to be on the boat anymore, apparently. They're going to keep doing the cruises uh-huh. and Kiss won't be on it. Oh, my God. So it's just going to be beaming. So maybe they, maybe they are going to be on a boat behind. Like, yeah. there's Kiss out like, there. Not too close, people. Not too close. <laughs> they just did a drive-by. I'm going to wave at you. That's right. <laughs> Waving at you. You stay over there. That's crazy. Dirty people. All right. So with this third album, they start headlining and co-headlining shows. And they're co-headlining with a band like Coheed and Cambria. Mm -hmm. That would have been an amazing show. The other one that was a co-headline was the Hours Dredge Tour tour. that I did not see. I almost saw. Mm -hmm. I I saw a little bit, but I didn't see Hours. But I did see Dredge on this tour. This was Catch Without Arms is the name of the album. My favorite Dredge album of all. And it was really hard to pick a song. So I'm going to pick one that's a little more up-tempo. There's some amazing songs on this album. If you are thinking about getting into this band, this is the one I would go to first. Okay. And I'm going to play a song that has a really catchy title called The Tan Bark is Hot Lava. It's a chore to reckon 
looking forward to getting lost in this album that's going to be good this song was much more in the realm of fitting in based on my last comments of you know that song being completely different than what was on the radio what was on Sirius XM that type of thing this one was much closer to that so now we're in this album this album is in that realm they should have been huge based on that and you know, similar songs that were out at the time 2005 2005 okay so yeah Muse was huge yeah this was their most successful album it debuted at number 123 on Billboard it reached the top of the Heat Seeker chart for a minute mm-hmm. and then kind of went away. This was the one that I thought would have broken them and it did. I mean, it was out there. It just never got to outside of that kind of cult status for some reason. So since I love this album so much, I really wanted to play more than one song from it. Okay. So I got a way around that because their next album that came out on May 11th, 2006, they recorded their concert in their hometown of San Francisco live at the Fillmore and they released that in 2006. So I'm going to play another song from that album, but it's live. So see, I get I get away with playing a second loopholes. song. I like loopholes. Uh, so this is another single from that album and this one's called Ode to the Sun.
and sound that good on stage you and i sounded good but we had more fun we weren't exactly precise live but maybe a little looser than that a little loose but we were having a damn good time regardless if the audience had a good time we had a good time that's all that mattered but bands like that that sounds so you have to listen to if you had not said you know this is live i would have known until the very end when i heard the audience so that's just it's always such a compliment to bands like that they can pull off really intricate songs and and just sound really tight like that super tight and i was going to bring up the bass playing again because mm-hmm. you brought it up earlier in the episode and I was as we progress and listen to these songs and chronologically he is his bass playing style is like kind of staccato mm-hmm. so there's a lot of start stops which is really tight mm-hmm. and he and the drummer are just dead on all the time but it also gives so much space we've talked about this before mm-hmm. that songs that have space in them tend to be better songs yes. well I was going to say that about the last one where the guitar drops out and the bass you know there it's coming and going it gives it's not overpowering it's powerful not overpowering yeah but he, uh, he just does it just right where he, you know, he stutters a little bit mm-hmm. so that you don't get, he's not filling up all yeah, the space with eighth notes or sixteenths. Yeah. You know, it's, dun, there's dun, not dun, something dun, constantly dun, dun, going dun, dun, dun. on. Because that's why I don't notice the bass in those songs. It just blends in. I mean, it just completely blends in. Compared to a lot of our hairband friends, our metal songs where the guitar is just shredding over the top and the bass right. is going. Dun, and the dun, bass dun, is dun, just dun, driving dun, the root dun, the yeah. entire time. It does nothing for There's me. nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't do anything. It doesn't work for this type of band. And I mean, what they do is just brilliant, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. The other thing I was thinking about should have been huge. So there was a band called Tool Mm -hmm. that was pretty big, still are around the same time. They're kind of cult following. They're kind of doing the same sort of thing. They're kind of nutty nuts when that comes to that band. Yeah. And how about the offshoot from Tool? A perfect circle. Mm -hmm. They're going on at the same time. They're huge. I swear it's almost as many people try to convert me to be a Tool fan as like Jehovah's Witness just showing up (laughs) at my door. Dude, are you a Tool fan? I'm like, I like Tool. No, 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 no. Are you a Tool fan? Do you know everything there is to know about Let me tell you about Let me tell you about my friend and savior, Maynard. (laughs) Seriously, it's it's borderline like that. That's why when you mention that, I'm like, yeah, their fans are a little special sometimes. And I'm not saying anything derogatory about the band. Right. It's just the people that really, I mean, it is absolutely their Pink Floyd or their Rush, the band. Right. They know every song. They listen to every interview. They go to every show. The the Deadheads, you know, that same thing, that loyalty. But I think there's a lot of parallels to what Dredge was doing as well. And and they do have kind of a cult following, but nowhere, again, nowhere near as big as Tool or yeah. Perfect Circle or the other bands I mentioned like Muse, U2, Incubus. Yeah, because Muse we saw, I think they were up for Velvet Revolver the last time we saw them. Well, oh, I've, I've seen 
seen him about eight times since then. What's the last time we? Oh, we saw we, them, yeah. Yeah, me using the Royal We, you and yeah. I together in the same place. But that was the last time. It was an arena, but they were open for Velvet Revolver. So I know they've played some pretty big venues. Well, I told you the time that I saw you two clothes from Muse. Did I tell you that? <laughs> yeah. I, we went to see Muse. Yeah. And then this band, you two, went on after them, and we, we left. Because, you know, we saw like two songs, like, yeah, I, I came the, to see Muse. The last time we saw you two, there was, I think it was right before September 11th, and then coincidentally right after it. And so they were doing a big tribute and everything, but it was basically the same tour, the same songs and everything. And I think that was kind of me going. It was the Elevate era. Yeah. I'm like, and Elevation, I'm, I'm whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I like that old music, but nothing else. Like I can just leave after that point, I can leave it all on the table. Yeah, they they actually they're one of those bands that I liked early on. So I, I kind of like their early and mid period, oh, yeah. and then and everything Tom, after that, that just kind of blends in, yeah. and I, I can't keep it straight in my head for no. some reason. Any, disco tech, whatever. What was I like that album. Okay, pop. Yeah. That was the pop album. Yeah, uh, that's it's all right. But yeah, that was the time where after that everything just yeah. started to blend. You, and could, I couldn't, you can't even I couldn't tell it, it apart. Five year radius. Like, yeah. Name that the year that song came out. Not even within five years, I couldn't get it. <laughs> After Catch Without Arms in 2005, they put out that live album, and then they started writing songs in 2007 for their follow-up. And they started leaking demos and hints on MySpace. Remember MySpace? Oh, yeah. Yes, they were using MySpace so as cool. their, their promotional engine. I don't think I ever finished filling out my page. <laughs> I lost interest in it that quick. I was like, eh, Everybody used to have these you know crazy pages because yeah. you could really go in and customize everything. Yeah. And it, it took forever to load sometimes, depending on how much crap people yeah, put the- on their page. <laughs> well, it wasn't going that bad. It wasn't going that bad. But yeah, so in 2007, they, they're starting to leak this stuff. 2008, they play the Coachella Festival, which is a pretty big deal yeah. to play that festival. And they debuted some of these new songs. And then they announced on MySpace that they were leaving Interscope. So they left the major label. Doesn't sound like the label got rid of them. Sounds like they left on, on their own. Mm-hmm. They went with an independent, but the independent was actually owned by Warner. So they kind of cheated a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's not really an independent. It was when independent labels were the thing, you know? Yeah, so uh, independent, wink, wink, nod, yeah, nod. Yeah, it's actually nudge, owned nudge. by Warners. Yeah. But that's They're where they so went. independent. I think it was called the Independent Label Group, owned by Warners. <laughs> So in 2009, they finally released this album, and it actually is the highest charting release. It didn't do quite as well as the last album, but it charted higher. It was number 71 on Billboard, which was pretty damn good. Yeah. Now this album, you know, we've had some nice themes and some crazy heady stuff that they're, you know, very cerebral here. This album is inspired by Salman Rushdie, an essay that he wrote called Imagine There Is No Heaven, A Letter to the Six Billionth Citizen. You ever read that one? Isn't that rip off of John Lennon? I don't know. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine that. So, yeah, these guys, man, they're smart dudes. They read a lot, apparently. It's a bit of a departure from the first three. It's less dredgy sounding than the previous album. So this is where I kind of saw some changes mm-hmm. that maybe wasn't as much my thing with dredge. But it's still a great album. It's called The Pariah, The Parrot, and The Delusion. came out in 2009. Like I said, I'm going to play a song called I Don't Know. There's no guarantee of a God of longevity 
okay, less proggy, did more pop. More pop, more of that U2 kind of guitar coming yeah. through a little bit more. So not a huge evolution, but just some slight changes. I mean, it, it's still progressing from where they started. Yeah, it was just, I, f- I felt like they had established their their unique sound mm-hmm. so much with the first three records. And then this was just them pulling back and be a little more standard mainstream mainstream with it. That. yeah that's what i was thinking too but it's still a great album i saw this tour at masquerade again the first time i saw them they were in heaven mm-hmm. so masquerade was a three-level building heaven hell and purgatory mm-hmm. and i saw this tour in hell and it was in august and it was so hot i was just dripping with sweat by the time i got out there's of the no show. ventilation there's in no the, ventilation in, 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 it's hot in hell <clears throat> it was really hot in hell they exactly named what it they tell you very about. well yeah purgatory was out kind of out to the side. It was, yeah. Off to the side. Like mid-level where a bar was. It yeah. was a very small stage. But still, this was one of the best venues in Atlanta. I mean, this old mill, stone walls, big freight elevator. It just, it was so unique. It, it did not look they like a whole, concert venue. They had the whole outside. You could go outside. They had festivals out yeah, there. They, they kind of a backyard to this mill. And now it's fancy whatever it is no now. it's no more no more. It doesn't exist oh so this is just bad luck the contractor goes in there and there of course this huge stone facade was kind of unique to this building and it was a special kind of stone and they talked about so they went and you know we we're going to demo a lot of the other stuff and save the stone wall and the contractor knocked it over one day oh, oh it was yeah. so ugly yeah the, the one thing they're trying to save they kind of bumped into it knocked it over or something like that oh well oops so masquerade does still exist in name and in theory yeah they moved it to underground atlanta yeah there was a kind of a what would you call it a mall it was built as a mall it was called underground atlanta it's where downtown downtown atlanta would flood and so there's these buildings that were multi-story. And so they basically said, you know what? The main floor is now the basement. And they built a road above the main floor. So now the second floor was the first floor. And so underneath this road became Underground Atlanta. And in the 70s, they made it a mall, which failed. In the 80s, yep. they did some more things. In the 90s, they moved Hooters it's there. still a mall. Had a, had a Ted's yeah, Montana it, Grill. That and failed. And then in the 2000s, they put some bars down there. And it lasted about six months. Yep. And now it's Masquerade. The Masquerade, and they've moved in some artists uh, to take over some of the spaces. And it's actually kind of cool going there now. It's like a miniature Burning Man where the storefronts, each storefront is taken over by a different artist. Oh, that's cool. And so you, at different nights, they have different things. That I wish they could get that going a little bit more because it's still sketchy as hell to go down there at night. And it's still 20 bucks for parking. So you got to really want to go. But huh. if you decide to go down there, it's pretty cool. So most violent show I ever saw was there. At the new masquerade? No. Oh. It was 1996 when I first moved to Atlanta. Uh-huh. And they decided it would be a good idea since they were blocking off all the streets because we had the Olympics. They thought it would be a good idea to chain in the underground, the outside of underground Atlanta and put a band on top of the roof mm-hmm. leading into underground Atlanta. That band was Soundgarden. In 96. And in 96. And they gave us tickets that said 6.30. Soundgarden didn't go on until 9. And it was, what was that, August? Uh-huh. July or August? Yeah. It was so hot. It, it was the steamy season. And there were so many people there because everybody in the world was there because yeah. of the Olympics. And I must have seen five or six fights break out mm-hmm. pre-show. Then during the show, it was just pure chaos. And you have Soundgarden literally rocking out on top of the roof 
leading into Underground Atlanta. It was a really cool scene, a bit scary at the same time. Yeah, the packed-in crowd, you, there's nowhere to go when you're in the middle of downtown Atlanta. It's not like a big field where you can kind of move over to they the They had side. shut off all the streets, yeah. so you had foot traffic all around you because it was just people from all over the world. It was the Olympics. Yeah. It was crazy. I don't remember that, but... That was a that was I, of course I don't I didn't know you at that time it's two years before we met but I was down down at the Olympic Stadium I lived at the basically across the street from the Olympic Stadium for two weeks keeping an eye on these townhomes that were getting rented out to like Exxon and Nike for a thousand bucks a night these corporations were renting these townhomes so I just lived down there and kind of looked after the place it was fun well but we digress going back to Dredge so the last album we just talked about came out in two thousand nine then we don't hear from them again until 2011. This is their fifth album. This is where they made, I think, a mistake. So, Was it a grave mistake? Grave mistake. And very nice. I like that tie in there. Yeah. Yes. This is kind of their undoing. So they go with a local San Francisco guy as their producer. His name is Dan the Automator. Now, if that name sounds weird. I don't like where this is going. It's because he's known more as a DJ and a hip hop producer, mm-hmm. and they decide to go with him to produce their next album, oh boy. which they are none of that. And so, although he had done some alt rock, he had done Primal Scream, John Spencer Blues, Explosion, Kasabian. These are all bands that don't have a lot of success. They're kind of all culty bands. So you're going to get kind of this odd sound, and they got a really odd album. Even the title of this album is super odd for Dredge, and that's saying something. The name of the album is Chuckles and Mr. Squeezy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Not wow. not a great title. That's a Lip Biscuit exactly. album cover. 2011 is when this came out. So bad title. The, the sound is what you would expect from a guy with that pedigree. It's, it's very electronic, not very dredgy. It's gotten better over time. I thought it was really bad when I first got it. I didn't listen to it for a long time. I've come back to it more recently. It's not as bad as I remembered. But at the time, again, I was expecting that dredge sound, mm-hmm. which they had already kind of gotten away from a little bit with the previous album. This one, they just left completely. And after this album, they went on an indefinite hiatus. It didn't do well. think about what they did. <laughs> well, go, go sit in the corner, think about what you just did. I think it's obvious that they had just kind of maybe burned themselves out yeah. with each other. They never said that they broke up because mm. these are all buddy. They've been buddies since middle school. So they yeah. were like, oh, we'll get just back together eventually. Yeah. We're just taking a break. The guitarist, Mark Engel, went to another band that was very similar to Dredge called Black Map. Everyone should check out Black Map. In fact, we're going to play some of their stuff at some point Okay, because they're a badass band as well. But I'm going to play a song from Chuckles and Mr. Squeezy. We need to hear this. The world needs to hear this. So this is Upon Returning. I can understand what you 
I was prepared to hate that. I don't hate it. I, no, it's not horrible. No, I, I was ready to, because uh, once we had mentioned U2, they kind of went off the rails with some of their techno stuff, but this was not that bad. It, it had elements of their earlier stuff where there's still a lot of space and the staccato bass and the guitars kind of trading back and forth to take up space. So it still had all those elements. They definitely had a lower quality sound to the recording, which obviously at that point they were lo-fi Yeah, they weren't dumping as much money into recording as they had been before, I'm sure. Well, I'm thinking that's what this guy was going for. He was like the lo-fi kind of thing. Because the other rock bands that he had done kind of had that same yeah. sort of Well, he achieved what he was going sound. for, but yeah, it was all right. I, it just it, it didn't grab me as much as that, like you said, that third album that was the pinnacle for us. And the, the one thing it did do is, I, I guess it's a little, not funky, but a little dancier of a vibe. It kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of Gorillaz. Yes. Which is the guy from Blur, right, mm-hmm. who went and did Gorillaz. Kind of has that same sort of feel to me. Is what, Blur and Rancid? I don't think it's Rancid. What's what I'm thinking? No, the, one of the guys from Rancid, I meant. What the hell did you just say? Maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't actually own any gorillas, but I just remember the, go look that up. the whole concept where yeah. she didn't know who was in it. And oh, yeah. Just I mean, they, cartoons they, yeah, they had personas on stage, yeah. right? animated personas. But the sound of this kind of has that going for it a little bit. And it made me think that Gavin's voice, I, I never really realized until this album that he has a pretty soulful voice. It's unique mm-hmm. for them playing the style of music that they have and he's kind of this old soul kind of voice. Yeah. Not raspy, but you know what I mean? It just has that, I don't know, it it could be a smooth soul singer. But you played that song at the very beginning of the show with him him screaming. temper tantrum screaming. When he's in high school. Yeah, I've never been able to pull (laughs) that off, thank God. But that's just, yeah, that's uh, quite a progression. Right. So we've gone through everything to date. They did confirm that they were getting back together Mm pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic kind of stopped things from moving forward for them for a little while. But they've been re-releasing all of their previous albums on vinyl, so you can go out and find those. They're not cheap because they re-release them with all the bells and whistles. And oh, all so the, you get all the pamphlets. You get all the everything inside. Yeah, it's really cool. And this year, they released a mammoth box set called Dredge Vault. Sounds like somebody else did that, didn't yeah. Somebody else do that? What was his name? Van Halen? No, it was, uh, I think his Sting. name is Gino. Sting. Gino, yeah. He was with, you know, he's with that band that we, I think we talked about You'd have two just because you're in the kiss vault. You'd have two kiss connections. connections. They have a vault just like Gene Simmons has a vault. Mm -hmm. Gene's probably going to sue them for putting out a vault. Has he not sued you? I mean, if he saw this, he'd walk in and uh, (laughs) you'll hear from my lawyers. Yeah, so Dredge released their own version of a vault, which is not a little safe like Jeans. Yeah. A $2,000 safe. Jeans is walk in. What are you talking about? He can put his car in there. But it, it includes everything that you've heard, plus the early cassettes, things that they never released outside of just releasing on tape and yeah. themselves. So all of that stuff's out there now. All the storyboards, all that's out, all the extras. Mm-hmm. These things are like 200 400 bucks. Now, that, each. is that what you say box says? That CDs it's, or albums? It's, I think it's a combination of, of, of cassettes all of and. Oh, actual album. Okay, so when you say CDs, cassettes, everything. I thought it was like a recording of the cassettes. Well, I think it's all of it, but they, every, they're in all the different types of media. Yeah. yeah. So it's a big expensive thing that I'm not going to buy, but no. if you want to go check it out, go to dredgevault.com. That's D-R-E-D-G, no E, vault.com. And you can spend your 400 or 200 bucks on this thing. Hey, let me know how it is. You get a lot of material for your buck right there. Yeah. I'm, I won't be buying it, but let me know how it is. It looks cool. <laughs> 
Now, the word is that we're going to get a new album this year. Okay. Of course, they also said we were going to get a new album last year. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, but I hope they come back. I hope they start touring because this band was killer. I've seen them twice now. Yeah. Well, I've seen them one and a half times, <laughs> but the, they were killer both the times. first half of the show or the second half? I saw the second the half. The second half. Okay. So that was yeah. the best part of the show. That's the big grand finale and the, the build up and all exactly. that stuff, the encore. And they always end with a couple of their epic proggier stuff. So oh. I mentioned earlier, they have a Pink Floyd kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You probably haven't heard a lot of that yet. No. I'm going to end with something that's a little more on the proggy Pink Floydy side. I think you'll awesome. like this. So this is another song from El Cielo. Close. Yeah, that's All right, it. Maybe. That was pretty good. All right, from 2002. So a second song from that album. This is the proggier side of Dredge. This is always at the end of their set.
So you made it through a great concert. They play this huge song at the very end, and I hope they have some backing tracks and just let those voices ride, and they just set their instruments down and walk off stage as the voices keep going. Sort of what they do. That's exactly what they Uh, do. That's just what I pictured in my mind while I was listening to that, that that's a great way to end the show. You can do the big finish and thank you, thank you. But also there's something about just just white light in them leaving. With those voices going, like I said, just set your instrument down, just walk off. That'd be a great way to end it. Should have been huge. Should have been huge. Yeah. I I mean, I, I hope they put out a new album and it gets some attention. Yeah. I would love for them later in their career to finally experience a little bit more of a mainstream mm-hmm. hit or success or something. Because they have it in them. Yeah. These guys are good. And that that could have lent itself to a movie. I mean, think of all the uh, opportunities to score something yeah. with their talent and their skills. That their, their songs sound like a movie soundtrack sometimes. The fact that I love this band because it's, it's got the elements of things that I love. And then I let Grace listen to it and she hears things like that. And yeah. she goes, I really like like this, yeah, I can, I like can it, see that. it, you know, it goes beyond just the metal rock mm-hmm. punk geeks. It, like it can go further. That's why I'm so surprised that they didn't have more mainstream success. I agree. Uh, you have convinced me. All right. Well, that's what I have for you this week. Yeah. Do you have another guest coming up here? Because I know you've got. I could hear the waiting room upstairs. <laughs> yeah. So, is there another guest? I think that I we, believe there is. We've another got one. one more interview coming up. All here. right. Why don't, why don't you come up here, young lady, and talk to us? Okay. State your name. Why does everybody sound like so weird? What's your name? Hello, my name is Noel. Hmm, Noel what? Williams. And you're on our program, so you have to talk about music. Um. Hmm, what's your favorite music? Music. What's your favorite band? Myself. Hmm, pick one off the wall, maybe. Hmm, those people over there, um, they all have, like, hair in their chest. Oh, yeah, it's called Gizz. No, no, let's say it together. One, oh. two... Three, four. Kiss. That's what my dad said. <laughs> he told me to say that. Hey, what band have you seen in concert? Um, well, I've seen something called Kiz with my dad and my sister's mouth started bleeding and she lost her tooth. Tell that story again. So my sister just kind of uh tugged her tooth out of her mouth and then her mouth started bleeding a little bit. And what was going on on stage? Do you remember? This dude was spitting out red spit <laughs> and getting electrified. <laughs> was it awesome? Um, it seemed to be scary. Mm-hmm. Did it scar you for life? Yes. Good. I achieved what I needed to achieve. How old were you? Only 11. No, no. When you saw Kiss, how old were you? Oh, um, I think I was like eight or nine. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anything else you want to say to the people? My dad is drinking a beer. All right, kid. Anything else? Not really. Okay. Well, thank you for being on the program. We're in this room that has a lot of posters around it. Um, bye. (laughs)
Robert wants to thank you for spitting all over his mic. That was amazing. <laughs> I didn't spit on the mic. Yeah, be sure to wipe that off before I come up there. Oh, good. Thank Bye. you for your participation. <laughs>